بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما Continuing off where we left off in the biography of Umar ibn al-Khattab Today we want to talk about some of the incidents in the life of Umar with the Prophet as we have been speaking about in the previous weeks. We will continue with some of those incidents that highlight the character of Umar ibn al-Khattab in his interactions and in his dealings uh, during the time of the Prophet So previously we spoke about the Treaty of Hudaybiyyah and Umar radiallahu anhu's initial reaction to that treaty. Now today we want to talk about what happened shortly before the Fath of Mecca when the Quraysh broke the treaty of Hudaybiyyah. How was Umar radiallahu anhu's reaction to that? The Quraysh breaking the treaty of Hudaybiyyah. So as we spoke about in detail in the classes on the seerah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam that one of the conditions of the Treaty of Hudaybiyyah was that any tribe that wanted to align itself with the Quraysh had the permission to do so. And any tribe that wanted to align itself with the Muslims had the permission to do so. So the tribe of Banu Bakr, they aligned themselves with Quraysh. And the tribe of Khuza'ah, they aligned themselves with the Muslims. So what does that mean? That means an attack on Khuza'ah is like an attack on the Muslims. And an attack on Banu Bakr would be like an attack on the Quraysh because of the alliances. All right. So about two years after the treaty of Hudaybiyah was agreed upon, the tribe of Banu Bakr assaulted the tribe of Khuza'ah. They actually ambushed the tribe of Khuza'ah. So what does that mean? It means that the treaty of Hudaybiyah has been broken by the allies of the Quraysh. Because the allies of the Quraysh, Banu Bakr, they assaulted and they attacked the allies of the Muslims, which was the tribe of Khuza'ah. So now, the Treaty of Hudaybiyah has been broken by who? By the allies of the Quraysh. So now the Quraysh are in big trouble. The Prophet ﷺ, he can come and he can take revenge on Quraysh for their part in breaking that alliance. And by this time, this is two years after the Treaty of Hudaybiyah was agreed upon, by this time, during these two years, the Muslims had gained much more strength over these two years. There were a lot of expeditions, including the expedition of Khaybar. And the Prophet ﷺ, he was able to bring a lot of more tribes in the Arabian Peninsula into Islam during these two years after the Treaty of Hudaybiyah was agreed upon. So now the Muslim strength two years after the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, it's much stronger than it was two years before. So the Muslims are very strong and the Quraysh knows this. So the Quraysh are very afraid now. Like look, we broke the treaty. Now Muhammad wasallam, he can come and he can easily take Mecca if he wants to take it now because now he's powerful enough to actually do it. So the Quraysh are very scared of this. So before the Prophet ﷺ could take any action, Abu Sufyan himself 
See how important this is. The leader of Quraysh, Abu Sufyan, he himself travels from Mecca to Medina to try to smooth things over with the Prophet to prevent the Muslims from coming and taking over Mecca. He wanted to smooth things over. So Abu Sufyan, he comes to Medina. And the first person he goes to meet is his daughter, Umm Habiba. The daughter of Abu Sufyan, Umm Habiba. And she is from Ummahatul Mu'mineen. She is one of the wives of the Prophet ﷺ. The daughter of Abu Sufyan was married to the Prophet ﷺ. And she was a good Muslimah. So Abu Sufyan, he goes to his daughter, Umm Habiba. And he says to her, look, I need you to talk to Muhammad, talk to your husband, try to smooth things over. Intercede on my behalf, intercede on behalf of your father to your husband that he doesn't come and take Makkah from us. Please. He's basically pleading with his daughter to intercede on his behalf to the Prophet But Umm Habiba, she refuses. She says, no, I'm not going to do this for you. I cannot do this for you. Then Abu Sufyan, the next person he goes to is Abu Bakr because he knows Abu Bakr is the closest companion to the Prophet So he says, maybe if I can get Abu Bakr to understand what I want, maybe he can intercede on my behalf to his friend, the Prophet So he goes to Abu Bakr and he pleads with Abu Bakr to intercede on his behalf to the Prophet Please try to convince him not to come and take Mecca. Abu Bakr also refuses. He says, no, I can't help you with this. The next person Abu Sufyan goes to is Umar ibn al-Khattab. And this is what we want to talk about. What was Umar's reaction to this? Abu Sufyan, he goes to Umar and he says, Ya Umar, please tell Muhammad to forgive us for what has happened. We want to smooth things over and please intercede on my behalf to Muhammad that he lets this thing go that he lets this, this breaking of the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, let, let him forgive it and pardon it and ask him to let it go. Can you, Ya Umar, intercede on my behalf? So what was, what was Umar's reaction? Umar radiallahu anhu, he said to Abu Sufyan, he said, Wallahi, law lam ajid illa dhar, bih. He said, you're asking me to intercede to the Prophet ﷺ not to fight you? I want to fight you. I'm happy that we're going to get the opportunity to fight you. He said, Wallahi, I swear by Allah, if I didn't find anyone with me to fight along with me except the ants that are crawling on the ground, I will take an army of ants and I'll fight you. So don't try to ask me to intercede on your behalf to the Prophet ﷺ. I'm happy. I'm happy that we have an opportunity to fight you and I want to fight you. So again, it just shows the, the severity of of Umar ibn Khattab, it shows his harshness and his roughness against the kuffar. Umar radiallahu anhu, he was harsh and he was rough against the kuffar. And this is another example that shows that. Alright, so Abu Sufyan's trip to Medina, it was, it, it didn't get the purpose that he intended it for. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam actually took his army and he came towards Mecca. Abu Sufyan, by this time, he had already gone back to Mecca. Abu Sufyan went back to Mecca. And then the Prophet ﷺ prepared his army and he came to the outskirts of Mecca without anyone from Mecca realizing it. The Prophet ﷺ kept this mission very top secret. And he actually...
kept guards around Medina to make sure that the news that he's planning to go and conquer Mecca, he didn't want that news to come out at all. He wanted to arrive as a surprise. He didn't want the Quraysh to get any news that he's coming. So by the time he reached the outskirts of Mecca, the Prophet ﷺ and his army, the people of Mecca didn't know. But Abu Sufyan was worried because he knew that perhaps the Prophet ﷺ will come to Mecca because he knew what had happened. He knew the treaty of Hudaybiyah has been broken. Now the Prophet ﷺ has every right to come and take Mecca. So Abu Sufyan was afraid of this, but he didn't know that the Prophet ﷺ was already actually very close to Mecca. So what Abu Sufyan used to do is he would come out on the outskirts of Mecca just to see what the situation is. See, oh, is Muhammad coming? Is his army coming? He was afraid that this might happen, so he would come on the outskirts and, and look for any information or any signs or any news. So one of these days when he came out, he came across Al-Abbas, the uncle of the Prophet Al-Abbas ibn Abdul Muttalib. And he met with Al-Abbas and Al-Abbas said to Abu Sufyan, he said, look, Muhammad, if he comes into Mecca and if he fights you, then this will be the end of Quraysh. There is no way you can stand up to him and his army. And Abu Sufyan understood that this was the truth, that there was no way the Quraysh and their army could now withstand the Muslim army because the Muslims had multiplied and they were in a very strong strategic position and they had a huge number with them as well their army was 10,000 so Abu Sufyan knew that there's no way that the Quraysh could defeat them if it came out if it came to that if it came to an actual war that the Quraysh would be defeated Abu Sufyan understood that and Al-Abbas he told this to Abu Sufyan look if he comes and if he has to fight you then surely he will win and this will be the end of Quraysh and it will be a huge humiliation for Quraysh so Ya Abu Sufyan Ya Abu Sufyan I'm telling you, you need to make a deal with Muhammad. You need to come to some type of an agreement with him so this ends peacefully. So Al-Abbas, he recommended, look, I will take you to Muhammad. The Prophet ﷺ was not far. He was just camped on the outskirts of Mecca. So Al-Abbas, he told Abu Sufyan, Muhammad is here. I can take you to him and, you know, we can come to some type of an agreement. We can, we can, we can make some type of a deal with him. This is your only, this is your only chance. This is what Abbas told to Abu Sufyan. So Abu Sufyan, he agreed to this. He was like, yes, this is, this is the only, only chance that I have and I will go and I will meet with him and we can come to some type of an agreement perhaps. So Al-Abbas said, okay, come on. Come on, I will take you to the tent of the Prophet Al-Abbas was actually on the mule of the Prophet He was using the riding animal, the mule of the Prophet so he told Abu Sufyan, come sit on the mule with me and I will take you to the Prophet So they go on their way towards the tent of the Prophet Now the Muslim army is camped out here and the head of security on that day was Umar ibn al-Khattab. Umar was the head of the security. So when Al-Abbas came near, Umar said, who is it? And Abbas said, I am the uncle of Rasulullah and I am on the mule of Rasulullah. So then Umar, he got up to see exactly what it was. He heard Abbas and he knew, okay, this is Abbas, but still 
out of extreme precaution, he wanted to make sure exactly what the situation was. So he got up and he went there and he saw, yes, it was Ammu Rasulillah, ala baghlati Rasulillah. It was the uncle of the Prophet ﷺ on the mule of the Prophet ﷺ, but there was someone else there too behind him. And that was Abu Sufyan. So when Umar saw Abu Sufyan, he said, Ya Adu Allah, O enemy of Allah, Alhamdulillah, amkana minka wala ahd. He said, Alhamdulillah, all praise is due to Allah, that Allah has given us the chance to kill you right now today, and you have no agreement with us, you have no treaty with us, you have no promise of safety from us. Alhamdulillah, who has given us the opportunity to kill you right now. But Umar radiallahu anh knew that he could not kill Abu Sufyan without first getting permission from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And Umar knew that Abbas and Abu Sufyan would try to get to the Prophet ﷺ first to tell him that we want to make a deal with you. We want safety from you. But Umar didn't want safety for Abu Sufyan. So he wanted to get to the Prophet ﷺ first to get permission to kill Abu Sufyan. Now both sides know what the other side wants to do. Abbas and Abu Sufyan know what Umar wants to do. And Umar knows what Abbas and Abu Sufyan want to do. So what do they do? They they both race towards the tent of the Prophet ﷺ. Umar tries to go as fast as he can so he can get permission from the Prophet ﷺ to kill Abu Sufyan before Abu Sufyan has a chance to talk to the Prophet ﷺ. And Abbas and Abu Sufyan want to get to the Prophet ﷺ as fast as they can so they can get a promise of safety before Umar can get permission to kill Abu Sufyan. So it's a race now. It's a race. So they race to the tent of the Prophet ﷺ. And they actually reached there around the same time. But Al-Abbas and Abu Sufyan reached a little bit before Umar reached. But Umar was able to say to the Prophet wasallam, Ya Rasulullah, Hatha Abu Sufyan, Qad amkan Allahu minhu wala ahd, adrib He said, Ya Rasulullah, this is Abu Sufyan. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us the opportunity to kill him now. And he has no treaty with us. He has no agreement with us. He has no promise of safety from us. So Ya Rasulullah da'ni adrib unuqah. Give me permission. I will, I will chop off his neck right now. And then Al-Abbas he said Ya Rasulullah I gave him a promise of safety. I personally told him I will take you to Rasulullah Wasallam, and we can make some type of an agreement. And that is why he came. I, I gave him my word. I gave him my promise of safety Ya Rasulullah. Abbas is saying this to the Prophet So of course, the Prophet honors Abbas's promise of safety. That Abbas brought Abu Sufyan here with the understanding that he would talk with the Prophet So how can the Prophet give permission for him to be killed? So the, the promise of Abbas for safety for Abu Sufyan was honored by the Prophet So this incident actually it caused Umar and Abbas to exchange some words. They, they were, they were, Abbas was upset with Umar for wanting to kill Abu Sufyan after Abbas had given him a promise of safety. And Umar was kind of upset at Abbas for, for promising him safety. Like, this is the biggest enemy of Allah. Why don't we just kill him? So there was some type of a dispute between them. But then in the end, it, it became clear and everyone calmed down. And Umar actually, he said to Abbas, he said, you know, when you became a Muslim, and Abbas, he became a Muslim not so early on. 
Abbas is actually considered the last of the Muhajireen. So, Umar radiallahu anhu, he says to Abbas, Ya Abbas, when you became a Muslim, I was more happy than even if my own father, Al-Khattab, had become Muslim. Al-Khattab, the father of Umar, never became Muslim. But Umar said to Abbas, he said, when you became a Muslim, it made me so happy, more happy than I would have been even if my own father had accepted Islam. And he said, the reason why I was so happy was because I know that the Prophet ﷺ really wanted you to accept Islam. You're his uncle and he loves you and he wanted you to accept Islam. So I know that your Islam made him very happy. So because it made him happy, it made me happy. More happy than I would have even been at my own father accepting Islam. He said this, these very kind words, good words to Al-Abbas. So even the Sahaba, even if they had disagreements, the, the love that they had for each other, the brotherhood that they had for each other, it was always there. So this was Umar's mawqif, this was his stance when the time for the Fath of Mecca had come. Again, showing his strength, showing his, his harshness and his roughness towards the disbelievers. This is one of the characteristics that you will see over and over in Umar ibn al-Khattab. That he is shadeed and he is, he is ghalil. Shadeed, it means very, very stern and strict and ghalil, it means rough and harsh against the kuffar. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا قَاتِلُوا الَّذِينَ يَلُونَكُمْ مِنَ الْكُفَّارِ وَلْيَجِدُوا فِيكُمْ غِلْظَةِ وَلْيَجِدُوا فِيكُمْ غِلْظَةِ When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala orders for the Muslims to, to fight against the kuffar, He said, وَلْيَجِدُوا فِيكُمْ غِلْظَةِ And let them find this غِلْظَةِ let them find this roughness and this, this harshness in you when it is time to fight them. Not in regular interactions. We're not supposed to be harsh, even with the kuffar. But when the time for fighting comes, then of course there should be harshness against the disbelievers. And Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu, he had this characteristic. Also from the virtues of Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu, as we have mentioned in many of the previous lessons, that many times Umar radiallahu anhu would have an opinion or he would have an idea and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would affirm that with revelation. One example of this is one time the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sent a boy from the Ansar, a kid from the Ansar to go get Umar ibn al-Khattab. So he told this boy, go and get Umar ibn al-Khattab. So this was the early afternoon. It was early afternoon and this was a time where it was known that people would generally sleep. They would take a nap. So this boy, he came and he entered the room of Umar ibn al-Khattab without permission. He entered the room of Umar ibn al-Khattab and Umar was sleeping. And the boy woke him up. So Umar radiallahu anhu, he just got up from his sleep. And you know when you get up from your sleep, you kind of don't know what's going on. So he got up and his, his clothing actually exposed some of his body. His clothing actually exposed some of his body. And when he realized this, he made dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَدَدْتُ أَنَّ اللَّهَ عَزَّ وَجَلْ نَهَا أَبْنَاءَنَا وَنِسَاءَنَا وَخَدَمَنَا عَنِ الدُّخُولِ عَلَيْنَا فِي هَذِهِ السَّاعَاتِ إِلَّا بِإِذْنِ He said, I wish that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would send some revelation that would prohibit our children and our women and our 
servants to enter upon us during these times, these times where we need privacy, where we're sleeping, except with our permission, that they have to get permission first before they can come in. I wish Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would send some revelation regarding this. He made this dua. So then he got up and he went to the Prophet ﷺ. By the time he reached the Prophet ﷺ, exactly what he wanted, those verses had been revealed. Just been revealed to the Prophet ﷺ. The verses from Surah An-Nur where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya ladina amanu malakat aymanukum lam huluma minkum thalatha marrat min qabli salatil fajri wa min so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed this verse commanding the, the slaves and even the children who have not reached the age of pu puberty yet, even young children, that they should not enter in in your rooms during three times, except with permission. And what are those three times? Min qabli salatil fajr, before salatul fajr. So like, you know, late in the night before fajr. You cannot just enter someone's room like that without getting permission. مِنْ قَبْلِ صَلَاةِ الْفَجْرِ This is the time that Umar ibn Khattab was in during this incident. The, the early afternoon time where people would usually take a nap. Do not enter someone's room at that time except after taking permission. وَمِنْ بَعْدِ صَلَاةِ الْعِشَاءِ And after Salat al-Isha, after Salat al-Isha, when a person goes to his room, do not enter that person's room except after taking permission. And this is even for kids. Even for kids who have not reached the age of puberty yet, they must take permission if they want to enter upon the rooms of people during these three times. That you have these three times that are private for you. So Umar radiallahu anhu, he wanted this. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he sent down this revelation. Also, from the affirmation that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave to the opinion of Umar ibn al-Khattab was the incident of the janazah of Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul. Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, for those of you who attended the seerah lessons, you have heard this name a lot. The head of the munafiqeen of Medina. A person who caused a lot of pain to the Prophet ﷺ over a number of years. And this person, he conspired against the Prophet ﷺ with the Jews. And he did so many things. He personally started rumors against the family of the Prophet ﷺ. And he really caused a lot of, of pain to the Prophet ﷺ and his family and the Muslims in general. So this was an enemy of Allah, the head of the Munafiqeen. When he died, his son, his son Abdullah ibn Abdullah ibn Ubay, his son was a good Muslim. And this was his father who died. So of course it was his own father who died, so he felt, he felt sadness naturally, even though his father was such an evil man. So he asked the Prophet ﷺ, Ya Rasulullah, can you pray the janazah for my father? And the Prophet ﷺ said, yes, okay, I will do it. And when the time for the janazah came, the Prophet ﷺ was getting up. He was getting up to lead the janazah. And Umar ibn al-Khattab grabs the garment of the Prophet ﷺ from behind to prevent him from, from moving. Ya Rasulullah, don't do it. Don't pray on this guy. This is Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, the munafiq who did this and this and this. He said this and this and this. He's the person who said, 
he called the Prophet وسلم, a lowly person and he called the Muslims lowly people. He called the Muhajireen Adal. And he called himself and the other Munafiqeen Aaz. Ya Rasulullah, he is the person who said this and this and this. Don't pray on him. Don't pray his janazah. He doesn't deserve this honor from you. He held the garment of the Prophet ﷺ to prevent him, to physically prevent him from going and doing it. And in another narration, it is mentioned that when the Prophet ﷺ got up to lead the janazah and he was trying to move forward, Umar came in front of the Prophet ﷺ face to face. He came in front of him to block him. Can you imagine this? The Prophet ﷺ is trying to walk forward to lead the janazah and Umar comes in front of him to block him. Don't go, Ya Rasulullah. Don't do it. Even Umar radiallahu anhu, he says regarding this incident this day, he said, I was amazed at myself, my boldness with the Prophet wasallam, that I could actually do this. I was amazed at myself that I was so bold trying to get the Prophet wasallam, not to lead the janazah of Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salud. So he tried his best to prevent the Prophet wasallam, from leading his janazah. But in the end, the Prophet wasallam. He said, Ya Umar, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave me a choice. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Istaghfir lahum, aw la tastaghfir lahum. In tastaghfir lahum sab'eena marratan, falen yaghfir Allahu lahum. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, ask Allah to forgive them, or don't ask Allah to forgive them. Istaghfir lahum, aw la tastaghfir lahum. Ask Allah to forgive them, or don't ask Allah to forgive them. In lahum marratan lahum. Even if you ask Allah 70 times to forgive them, Allah will not forgive them. So the Prophet said, Allah has given me a choice. He said, lahum, lahum. He gave me a choice. He said, you can ask for forgiveness for them or don't ask for forgiveness for them. So I'm going to take the choice and I'm going to ask for forgiveness for them. Then Allah said, In lahum lahum. Even if you were to ask 70 times for Allah to forgive them, Allah will not forgive them. So the Prophet ﷺ said, Allah said 70 times, so I will ask more than 70 times. I will ask more than 70 times. This was the, the extent of the mercy of the Prophet ﷺ, even to a person who had caused him so much personal pain in his life. Just, it's, just, it's just amazing the compassion and the mercy of the Prophet ﷺ. So, in the end, Umar tried to prevent him, but the Prophet ﷺ said, Ya Umar, move. Move out of my way, I'm going to lead the janazah. And then Umar, he had no choice. He moved out of the way. And the Prophet ﷺ went and led the janazah of Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salud. But after that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down the verse, وَلَا تُصَلِّ عَلَىٰ أَحَدٍ مِّنْهُمْ مَاتَ أَبَدًا وَلَا تَقُمْ عَلَىٰ قَبْرِهِ إِنَّهُمْ كَفَرُوا بِاللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ وَمَاتُوا وَهُمْ فَاسِقُونَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down a verse of the Qur'an affirming what Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu was saying. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَا تُصَلِّ عَلَىٰ أَحَدٍ مِّنْهُمْ مَاتَ أَبَدًا Do not pray on any of the munafiqeen when they die. Never do this. Do not pray upon them. وَلَا تَقُمْ عَلَىٰ قَبْرِهِ and do not stand over their graves. Don't ask for forgiveness for them. Innahum kafaru billahi wa Surely they disbelieved in Allah and His Messenger. Even if with their tongue they said that they believe, in reality they disbelieved in Allah and His Messenger. 
وَمَاتُوا وَهُمْ فَاسِقُونَ And they died and they were disobedient evil people. They died upon evil and disobedience. So don't pray on them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded the Prophet ﷺ not to do this again. And from then on, the Prophet ﷺ never prayed a janazah prayer over a munafiq after that. So Umar ibn al-Khattab his, his thinking and his reasoning, it was affirmed by revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala once again, as it has been many times. Also from the virtues of Umar ibn al-Khattab is the story of the Adhan that in Medina when the Muslims wanted to pray they didn't really have a method for gathering the people in the masjid at the time for the jama'ah. Like how is everyone going to know when to come to the masjid to pray the jama'ah? So they discussed it amongst each other, the sahaba, how should we call, make a call to the people to prayer? So some of them said, let's, let's have a bell. A bell like the Christians use a bell to call the people. And some of them said, let's get a, a horn. Like the Jews, they use a horn to call the people. So they had, this, they had these ideas. So in the end, they, it was agreed upon. The Prophet وسلم, uh, gave permission to, to get a bell. That we can get a bell and we can use that so the people will know to come to the masjid for the salah. But they couldn't find a bell. Nobody had a bell, right? They agreed that they're going to get a bell, but nobody had a bell. So anyways, when night came, one of the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, Abdullah ibn Zayd he had a dream. He had a dream that he saw a man with a bell. He saw a man with a bell and he goes to this guy and he says, can you sell me that bell? I, we need this bell. Can you sell it to me? And then the guy asks him, what do you need the bell for? He says, I need it to call the people to prayer. And then the guy with the bell says, shall I not teach you something better than using a bell? A better way to call the people to the prayer? You don't need this bell. I'll show you a better way to call the people to the prayer. And Abdullah bin Zayd in the dream, he says, okay, show me. And then this man taught him the words of the adhan. Call the people to prayer by saying, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah ashhadu an la ilaha illallah ashhadu anna Muhammadar Rasulullah ashhadu anna Muhammadar Rasulullah hayya ala as-salah hayya ala as-salah hayya ala al-falah hayya ala al-falah Allahu akbar Allahu akbar la ilaha illallah so he taught him the adhan in the dream so when Abdullah ibn Zayd woke up he directly goes to the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and he says ya rasulullah i had this dream and the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam is very happy with the dream he said yes this is good and then he tells Abdullah ibn Zayd go to Bilal Go to Bilal and teach him what you learned in the dream. Teach him what you learned in the dream because Bilal has a stronger voice than you. His voice is better suited for this than yours. So go and teach it to Bilal and he will, he will call the people to prayer with these words. So Abdullah ibn Zayd, he taught the adhan to Bilal. And when the time for the prayer came, Bilal, he called the first adhan. And Umar ibn al-Khattab, when he heard the words of the adhan, he comes out of his house quickly. And he tells the Prophet ﷺ, Ya Rasulullah, Wallahi, in my dream I saw this same exact words. In my dream I saw the same exact words. So Abdullah ibn Zayd had the dream and also Umar ibn al-Khattab he also had this same dream of the adhan. So that is another one of the virtues of Umar ibn al-Khattab So these are some of the incidents of the life of Umar ibn al-Khattab during the lifetime of the Prophet ﷺ that show his, his, his greatness, that show his, his severity and his harshness towards the kuffar. And also it shows that he had 
uh, a blessed way of thinking and many times his ideas and his opinions were confirmed by revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with Umar radiallahu an and be pleased with the rest of the companions. Inshallah next week we will continue with the biography of Umar radiallahu an. Barakallahu feekum wallahu alam wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.